most of us, work is a financial material activity. And I think there's always been a kind of longing in, in me, and I think there is in so many of us, that our work also be the expression of our spirituality, our love, our goodness, yeah. our, our unique gift. So I think at the heart of it for me is like, I think we all arrive on this planet laden with gifts. Most of us don't get those gifts validated, but there's still a yearning in us to use whatever mechanism we can and for most of us that's our work it could be our relationships our family our work and leadership are often the areas where we think this is where i would love to be able to give my gifts so you know that's that's what kind of inspired me to write the book to help people realize that work can be a joy and a blessing not a curse and just something you have to do Yo, Ryan Hartley here from Always Better Than Yesterday and welcome to the interview sessions where I spend time with inspiring and successful people and I ask them all of my curious questions about their heart and their mind. Today on episode 89, I am joined by author Nick Williams. I was recently in um, the gym locally with uh, Phil Walker. You'll remember him from episode, I think, 37, 38. And um, on the side, there was this book, and it really caught my eye. It was called The Work We Were Born To Do, written by Nick Williams in 1999. So I reached out, found him on LinkedIn, and I've been very fortunate enough to have an amazing conversation with a like-minded, like-hearted human being. Um, but before we get into this uh, episode, I'd just call your attention to Facebook. If you are not part of the Always Better Than Yesterday community yet, come and join over 500 like-minded, like-hearted people from around the world who believe in being better in themselves and helping others be better. We are always better than yesterday. Seek us out on Facebook. Come and join us. You will be most welcome also want to take the opportunity to say thank you to our good friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Nick Williams. His website is iamnickwilliams.com. Head there for more information, um, but enjoy this conversation, which is all about the work we were born to do. Much love, guys. Welcome to the Always Best Than Yesterday interview sessions, and today I'm joined by Nick Williams. Good afternoon, Nick. How are you? Hi, I'm very well. Sweating a bit. It is. <laughs> of the year, but otherwise I'm doing all right. Amazing. Um, I, we were just saying off air that I came across your work. Um, it was your book, The Work We Were Born To Do. Find the work you love, love the work you do. And, and you wrote that in 1999 and here i am in 2020 now and i've come across this book in a gym of all places for the first time mm. and everything that you have in there really really spoke to me around what i'm trying to help people with in always better than yesterday mm. but before we dive into any of that i'd love to know a little bit more about you and, and your journey <laughs> well that could take up the whole half hour um <laughs> Just a, a kind of ordinary upbringing, but, you know, I did O-levels and A-levels and, you know, kind of suburban life, grew up in Essex. But, but I think the thing for me is I always felt like I had a calling, you know, there was somebody I was kind of destined to become and things that I was destined to do. But, you know, most of us don't get any of that 
kind of validation and I certainly didn't feel like I got it very much. So I, I kind of ended up living an ordinary life, if you like, and selling computers in the city of London and, you know, on the outside doing very well. But on the inside, just feeling like, is this it? You know, it, it, it's pretty horrible. Really. Well, not horrible, but it's just like, I don't, I think the words came to me, you know, this is not what I'm on earth to do. Mm -hmm. um, but then that's, it's easy because most of us can relate to that kind of idea. It's like, well, this isn't what I feel I've been put on earth to do. But the harder question for many of us is, so what do we feel like we've got yeah. on earth to do? And, you know, I got, I began to get immersed, even when I was selling computers, I got immersed in the areas of, kind of psychology and spirituality. Mm -hmm. And I just found, I felt like I'd found a soul for my home. And, you know, it, it, it started off just being an interest and a hobby. But then it kind of began to dawn on me. It's like, well, maybe this is why I'm here. Um, but part of me went, who the heck, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Essex <laughs> grammar school boy. Who, what have I got to say that hasn't been said by a, a, a lot more people that are a lot wiser and more important <laughs> than me? So, you know, I, I've struggled with a sense of my own significance. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. It's like, who the heck am I to be doing <laughs> any of this stuff? Yes. Uh, you know, I'm better with that now, but I think it's a fairly universal feeling. Like we get really inspired about something and we go, but who the heck am I to think I can do that? Um, so, you know, bit by bit, I, I've overcome that resistance and I eventually left my corporate career and started my own business, uh, started kind of coaching. This was 30 years ago before, you know, coaches yeah. were even kind of talked about very much yeah. and, uh, and uh, a speaker um, when there was hardly even an internet. Um, <laughs> but it took me about 10 years before I got into writing, you know, and uh, I think when I was about eight years old, you know, when people said to me at Christmas, what do you want for Christmas? I, I think my answer was pens. And I think what I meant was I literally wanted to write, but actually I think it was like, I, I thought maybe one day I'll write a book. And here I am now mm. having written 18 books. So mm. um, I think in essence, I'm a communicator. You know, that's what I love doing. And what am I communicating? I guess, you know, like all of us are at the end of the day, how do we move from fear to love? Um, mm. And uh, that's it, you know, but it's, it's so simple on one level and yet so complex to actually do because I personally have a load of my own kind of ego shenanigans that hold me back uh, like <laughs> we all do. So, um, you know, I'm on my own path like everyone else is. But I'm, I'm happy with where I am. <laughs> yeah, I really resonate with, with some of the, the words that you use. And I'd just love to know the journey of, of this book that I have in front of me here, the work that we were born to do how did you develop the the sense of awareness and clarity around the work that we were born to do? Uh, great question. I, I, you know, like I said, I think it comes from two things. I think firstly, it's like, what, what do we know isn't us? So I think, mm. you know, a lot of, I think, I, I think we should take that seriously because I think often we try to override it and force ourselves to do things, mm -hmm. you know, and I, one of the things I talked about in the, in the book a lot was the Protestant work ethic, you know, almost the belief that well, you're not even supposed to enjoy work. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a penance, you know, it, it's a form of suffering and misery. So just get on with it and take the money and shut up. Mm. That's how many of us have, to some extent been, been brought up to think. Yep. But, uh, you know, when I got involved, I don't know if you've heard of something called Alternatives at St. James's. Um, okay. it's, a, it's a kind of mind-body-spirit lecture series that everybody mm -hmm. who's kind of a big name in that world comes to speak there. So I, I went along as an audience member to start with, then I got involved and ended up running it for a couple of years, leading it. Uh, so I got exposed to all these fantastic ideas. And I think, you know, one of the ones was that quote about, you know, where, where your joy and the needs of the world meet, there lies your vocation. 
and, and mm. that kind of idea, I think it was Aristotle that said that, it's like, wow, that whole idea of calling and vocation began to, to kind of surface in my mind. And um, so I started talking about kind of work and fulfillment to start with, I gave talks on it and stuff. And one day these words, the work we were all to do just came to me. Um, and the first thing I did was gave a talk on it and that seemed to go down well. And then I ran a workshop on it and that seemed to go down well. And then I kind of asked myself the question, it's like, well, could this be the book I thought I was going to write when I was eight years old? You know, so mm -hmm. at the age of, at the age of 38, I started to write, you know, it took me 30 years to actually start writing. <laughs> um, but I wrote and I, you know, I showed it to a publisher and a, a number of publishers and one said, yeah, we'd like to publish it. But, but mm -hmm. I think it, again, in answer to your question, it's like, for most of us work is a financial material activity and i think there's always been a kind of longing in in me and i think there is in so many of us that our work also be the expression of our spirituality our love our goodness yeah. our, our unique gifts mm. so i think at the heart of it for me is like i think we all arrive on this planet laden with gifts most of us don't get those gifts validated but there's mm. still a yearning in us to use whatever mechanism we can and for most of us that's our work it could be our relationships or family but work and leadership are often the areas where we think this is where I would love to be able to give my gifts so you know that's that's what kind of inspired me to write the book to help people realize that work can be a joy and a blessing not a curse and just something you have to do how do you describe or define the work that we we're born to do um, I think it is the expression of our gifts, but mm -hmm. I think even more than that, you know, as I'm getting older now, you know, it, it's about who we're being and what we're doing. You know, and I came across, I don't know how long ago, probably 25 years ago, I came across A Course in Miracles, and I don't know if you know it, but, you know, it's a kind of big, <laughs> blooming big book, and it's basically about how to undo fear and return to love. And I think what I got from that very clearly is this fear or love. You know, so mm -hmm. the work we're going to do is the vehicle by which we can share our love with the world. Um, I don't know if you know the quote from Khalil Gibran, your work is your love made visible. Um, when I came across that quote, I thought, wow, really? That's so diametrically opposed to how I was brought up to think about work. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that whole idea about our work is our love made visible. You know, my version of that is the work we're born to do. And, and it's not a static thing, I don't think. You know, like I've been doing what I was born to do for probably 25, 30 years now. And for me, it's a continual expansion and growth. You know, what I'm doing today is very different on the surface to what I was doing, you know, 25 years ago. But the heart of it hasn't changed. The heart of it has expanded and grown, but it, it hasn't really changed. You know, uh, yeah. I'm just more confident of doing it. Yeah. And here's the thing I've kind of learned over the years as well, is that doing what you love isn't a free pass to an easy life. It just makes it worth it. And, and I just um, wonder, yeah. you know, what are your, some of, what are some of your views on um, pursuing a life of doing what you love? Um, I totally agree with you. I think I came across the book on that view, but I read it called do what you love and the money will follow, you know, and it was a, a great kind of mantra. Um, and I think it does, it does, but often not as easily as we think it's going to be. 
mm. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I've jacked in my job and now I've set up as an aromatherapist. Where's the queue of customers? You know, whatever it might be for us. And, you know, we live in a very kind of sophisticated world in many respects where, you know, it, it's harder than ever in some respects for people to find us. You know, just because we open the doors to something doesn't mean people are going to find us. So, so one of the things I talk about a lot is, you know, our need to show up. You know, if there, I, I believe there are people out there that need us and we have unique gifts that can serve them. But if we're hiding away in our back bedroom, nobody's ever going to know that we're, we've got gifts that can help them. So we have to show up and, and put ourselves out into the world. Um, and I think the other thing I've learned kind of that, that, that kind of speaks to what you just asked is, you know, I, uh, another way of, of talking about calling is to follow your sense of inspiration. You know, so for me, the work we want to do is about the idea of listening to, tuning into and following a sense of inspiration in our lives. You know, when we feel uplifted, when we're, we're in the presence of something that's uh, uplifting us within ourselves or around us. But I think what, again, most people don't recognize or understand fully is I, I, the language I use is that inspiration has an evil twin. Um, and the evil twin I've come to call resistance. So, you know, I think most of us can recognize that the kind of idea that when we get really inspired about something, there's a pretty good chance um, that, that we're then going to try and talk ourselves out of it. We're going to distract ourselves, uh, spend the next three years planning it, but not actually do it, um, get into some drama and forget what it was that we were inspired to do. So, you know, I've realized that, you know, when, when I've, you know, I've been thinking about writing a book since I was eight years old, it took me 30 years to overcome my own resistance and actually start doing it. And I think most of us can relate to that, that there is this evil twin that operates in all of our hearts and minds that we know what we want to be doing and yet we're not doing it. And, and that's bad enough. But then I think what so many of us do, and I've certainly did it for many years, was then I beat myself up for not doing it. So it becomes a double whammy. Not only am I not doing what I know I want us to do, but now I'm beating myself up for not doing it. Um, so it, it's, it's a, it, I'm not saying it's a tough path. I, it's a path of massive personal growth in my experience. Mm. I don't, I don't, like you said, I don't know many people that get a free pass. <laughs> yeah. You, um, you wrote this book over 20 years ago and yet I think it has huge cultural significance and relevance, mainly for the fact that it's so countercultural at the moment because your definition mm. of success is very countercultural. Um, what is your definition of true success? help restoring the world to love. Um, that would be one definition or one idea of success. And at the bottom line, being happy. You know, I think our, our happiness is one of our greatest gifts to the world, not our mm. misery and misery and suffering and strife and struggle. Um, so, you know, that's how I think of it. And, you know, and you're right, because, you know, I look at, you know, like the figures and we're going to have mass employment. It's like, you should be grateful that you've got any job. It doesn't matter whether you enjoy it or not. You know, don't get back in your box. You're lucky to have a job at all, even if it's minimum wage. So, you know, for years, I felt quite guilty thinking, how dare I enjoy my work when so many people don't enjoy their work? And I suppose more and more over the last few years, you know, I've got more into the idea of kind of a, kind of thought leadership. That, that actually, you know, we need people that are here to show another way, mm -hmm. not people that are hiding out going, oh, well, you know, I better hide out because I don't want to feel guilty and I don't want people to feel bad that I'm having a great time and they're not. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, so, so I think we need more inspirational kind of role models that are saying it doesn't have to be this way, it can be another way. 
but also never to lose that empathy with the people, with, with those of us that are still suffering, you know, and I still suffer mm -hmm. in my life. It's not that I've stopped suffering, but I hope mm -hmm. I handle my suffering better and I hope I have a greater empathy and compassion for other people. And I, and I think the bottom line for me was I just felt guilty a lot of the time, you know, and I, I still feel guilt, but less guilt. And I think that's part of leadership is, is not feeling guilty, but going there is another way. Mm. This, you know? mm. With your book here, the roadmap to the work that we were born to do, the creating the leadership, creating the culture, finding the work that you love. What are some of the implications for leaders? Um, I think the biggest thing that all of us probably have to overcome personally as well as, as well as you know leaders have to overcome is this the whole idea of trying to control mm. you know, I think generally we still think of leadership as the best leaders are those that are best at controlling everybody around them you know keeping mm. them in their place heading them off at the pass you know somehow defeating them so they don't become a threat to us it's it, you know that's what a lot of leadership has been about control direct control command so I think the biggest challenge for many of us is on a, is dealing with that on a personal level, um, but also knowing that there is another way. You know, and I, I, one of the people that's been a, a great kind of role model and an inspiration for me has been a friend of mine. Well, she was a client and she became a friend. I don't know if you well, obviously I presume you'd have heard of Downton Abbey, um, but with Julian Fellows and a guy called Gareth Neem, Liz Liz Truebridge was the has been the executive producer of Downton Abbey um, since started and the film um, so I, I got to know her again a few years ago about um, 2013 we reconnected and I went on set and we've had combination uh, conversations and I've turned it into a, um, into a product on my website but basically you know her approach is all about leading with love and she actually called the program I said I want she said I want to call this leading with love so she consciously does her best to create a workplace where people feel safe and free to give their best mm. now until I had those conversations with her seven years ago I don't know that I'd met anybody mm. that said that's what I intend to do so having a friendship with her and having some really you know life-changing conversations for me even though I'd coached her originally mm. um, opened my mind to the idea that this is where I hope we're headed or at least this is where I'm helping people head if that makes sense that what if workplaces were actually places where people could come and give their gifts and be their best and be encouraged supported and i think more and more workplaces today are are saying that and giving it a degree of lip service but i think you know it takes courage to say i'm not going to try and control you i'm actually going to create a space where you can shine and be the best that you can be and again you know one of the things that i heard liz say and i i do it more and more is like you know what if we what if there were, we went to work and, and our bosses or our leaders said to us, I'm here in service of your best. How can I help you be the best person and give your best performance in this workplace? Tell me and I'll, I'll, if I can, I'll help you do that. I've never met anybody who's said that to me. And yet as a coach, it's kind of what I say to all my clients. It's like, okay, how can I help you be the best, whatever you are, best leader, the best manager, the best coach, the best whatever. So that's the kind of mindset and heart set that I'm passionate about. It's like, how do we cultivate more of an abundance kind of mentality, which is why don't we just set about to try and draw the best out of each other and ourselves? Mm. What are some of the blockers to abundance and getting the best out of ourselves? Fear, basically, you know, which usually shows up as resistance. And um, 
you know, and, and I suppose it all comes back to kind of ego and, and spirit. Um, you know, egos love being in charge. Egos love being superior. It's very hard for people that have been in charge and been in control and kind of feel superior and kept everyone in their place to suddenly go, hmm, I don't think that was such a good idea after all. I think it'd be much better if I created a workplace where I wasn't in control and I was much mm. more of a coach and a facilitator. And maybe a lot of people just don't either want to do that or know how to do it. They don't know how to make the con transition from being in control in a way to being in charge, but not in control. You know, like ultimately like my friend Liz, who's the, the producer, you know, she's in charge, but I'm not sure that she sees herself as in control. You know, she trusts everybody else to coalesce and mm. deliver their part of the jigsaw. Um, so she weaves the whole thing together, but she don't, she's not trying to micromanage everybody to do their bit. You know, it's different because it's obviously a creative industry, but, you know, everybody's there because they love what they do and they're good at what they do. Her job is to weave that into, together to, to the whole. But that's a different way of leading. Um, and I, I, I'm personally passionate about, you know, helping more leaders be like that if you like yeah i um in my framework of helping develop leaders who lead with love is is to first start to be able to lead themselves so going mm. within and, and really connecting with the sense of who we are what we stand for what we're really good at and and i know you talk about self-belief self-acceptance what does it mm. really take to build um the ability to lead yourself uh, a lot of courage. <laughs> but yeah. You're right. You know, I call it. I call it self leadership first. You know, it's right. like, I, I think I'm. I'm so much better now. What I do and how I am with people because of the pretty much 35 year personal growth journey that I've been on. You know, I've faced so many of my own fears, so many of my own insecurities, um, all sorts of stuff. So again, I, I hope that gives me a compassion and an empathy with other people. So unless you've been through some of your own kind of suffering um, of growth, you know, and, and I'm not saying I think growth has to involve suffering, you know, we can grow through joy as well. But for most people that in my experience, it's, it's like most people don't want to dismantle their egos. It's like, well, my ego is who I am. Why would I want to dismantle it? And it's almost that faith that's like, if, if, if you do allow some of your ego to be dismantled or to, to melt away, there's actually something better that's the real you that's underneath it. But unless you've had that experience, you're going to be terrified because you're going to go, I'm dying. You know, my ego identity is dying. I've got to hold on to it. So it is, you're right. So it's a really tough journey. Um, but I think for me, that's also where the, the spirituality comes in, you know, and it's like, well, who do we think we are? Because if we think we're our ego, then we'll fight tooth and nail to be right about what we believe in. But, you know, I, I, I still need to be right. My partner will testify. We can still get into some great arguments <laughs> quite quickly. But generally, I have a, a, a less need to be right than I, I used to have. Mm -hmm. um, and I recover from that kind of stuff a lot more quickly because uh, I feel like that who I am is not my ego. You know, the fact that I've written 18 books, it's not Nick Williams that was born in Hornchurch that's written 18 books. There's, there's some facet of me that is just tuned into a greater intelligence and can hear what wants to come into existence through me. And I then sit down and spend months writing the books. But it's like I'm in touch with a bigger intelligence and we all are, but I, I just know that I'm in touch with a bigger intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I think all creative people would ultimately say that. It's like, I don't know where it comes from, but it comes from somewhere and it comes through me as well as by me. 
Mm. Uh, so it's that kind of idea that it's not all bias, it's also through us. How do you learn to channel that? Um, I'm not so keen on the word channel. How do I? Well, here's my here's my mental model, if you like. Do you know Julia Cameron at all? You ever come across no. Julia Cameron? Uh, she wrote a book called The Artist's Way, which sold millions of copies. Mm -hmm. and, you know, has, has helped millions of people reclaim their creativity. So I, I read mm -hmm. that book 25 years ago, maybe. And and the way I've come to think of it is. You know, that's why I like the word inspiration a lot. I use it a lot. I don't know if it's the right word to use, but for me, inspiration is a frequency that's always, be, always being broadcast to all of us. Because I've met so many people that said, oh, I'm waiting for inspiration to strike. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, my take would be inspiration's kind of whacking you on the head all the time going, hello, can you hear me? Are you listening? So our job is not to go seek for inspiration. Our job is to listen to the inspiration that's already been whispering to us. And I think, you know, if we're honest, most of us know in our heart what we're here to do. You know, I knew as an eight-year-old, I was here to write and to communicate. It took me a long time to actually get down to doing it. So I think if most people are really honest, they know, you know, they know as a kid what they loved and what brought them alive and what they just naturally gravitated to. Um, so I think inspiration is always trying to get our attention the question is more, are we listening? And then are we willing to face our own resistance to doing what we've heard is our assignment, if you like? And then are we willing to become really skillful at doing it? Yeah. So it's tune, tune into the inspiration, overcome the resistance and, and get really good at your craft. Love that. I've, um, I've recently heard the, the, the translation of the word inspiration is to breathe life. And and I, uh, I had an, and I'm, I'm a believer. I am a man of faith. I haven't always been. I, um, I've been on a huge journey, particularly over the last eighteen months. But um, what role does does faith have in in the journey of self development and doing what you love? I'm just trying to censor myself for a minute about which word to use. You know, I'm, I'm a great believer that if we're relying on our own strength, then we're screwed. <laughs> uh, um, in yes. A Course in Miracles, it said something to the effect of, you know, if you are relying on the strength of your own ego, you have every reason to be afraid. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when, we're, when we think it's only our ego, we will be afraid, and rightly so. Um, another line from The Course in Miracles for me is, it says, if, if you knew who walked beside you on the journey you had chosen, fear would be impossible. Now, I'm not sure that I even know what that means, but it sounds pretty good to me. Um, so it's almost like this idea that we are surrounded by supportive energies, whatever you want to call them, mm -hmm. the universe, God, spirit, love, inspiration. To me, angels, the, the label doesn't matter. It's like, is there a greater intelligence that's kind of got our back and cheering us on? I hope so, otherwise I'm screwed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I certainly rely on it for, for moving my own life forward and for solace and for comfort, yeah what you've just described was me it was um coming coming from a single parent family where my mum worked three four jobs she was the role model and the epitome of, of hard work ethic and 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 i think that translated in into my own journey as well trying to sure. control what i control you know being in being mm. being responsible for my own destiny and and, and i i heard this phrase once that um you, you're too busy trying to go it alone that you don't leave space for the miracles and i guess mm. that kind of just yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, I love that. I love that idea. And 
sorry, I'm, I'm not meaning to, to become a, a fountain of quoting the Course of Miracles, but there's another mm -hmm. line in the Course of Miracles I love, which is, it, it's, it says, your weakness is heaven's strength. So that's why I'm also a great fan of kind of vulnerability, because it's often when, when our ego can't mm -hmm. do the job that we kind of go, I give up. But in the giving up, then heaven can come in and go, okay, you know, now, now you realize you can't do this. We've been trying to help you all along, but now you're, you're open. That, that whole thing about, you know, uh, the cracks are where the light comes in, that, all that kind of idea, you know, that, that, that uh, sometimes we do have to surrender our own whatever desires, beliefs, to allow something greater to, to work with us and through us. But it's going to be better. It's not going to be worse. Yeah. So you wrote that 21 years ago, looking back at that book and, and naturally you've gone on, you've grown in, in your own kind of sense making of, of, of the world and experiences. What would you, what would you change? Or what would you have added? To the book? Hmm. Uh, probably nothing. <laughs> but what I didn't know, you know, um, it's funny, I've just written a little thing for some clients about you know, um, writing and, uh, and where books fit into kind of business and, and the business mix. And, you know, uh, my dream was to write a book and I wrote a book, but I had no dream after being a published author in a way. It's like I had no sense of what was going to happen as a result of it. So in a way, uh, uh, if I were to change one thing, it would make it shorter. Um, you know, um, mm -hmm. I joke, I joke with kind of fellow authors now and say, you know, there's something called first book syndrome and first book syndrome is why, where you try and throw everything that you've ever <laughs> learned into the first book you write and it ends up being yeah. very long. Um, and I joke and say, well, if you look hard enough, you'll find a kitchen sink in there somewhere. <laughs> everything, everything I knew. But, but now I've written 18 books. So I, I consider myself to have like a, a body of work. So in a way, I wouldn't change much about what I've done because so much has come afterwards that has amplified, expanded and explained yeah. more what I was saying then. And my understanding has deepened and, uh, yeah. and, and I've evolved, you know, and uh, I don't, you know, it's, it's more, it's not so much about what would I change about the book. It's more, what do I now understand about the process of being what I would probably now call somebody who offers thought leadership. You know, for me, mm. the, the identity 20 years ago was I'd love to become an author. My identity today is more about how do I offer thought leadership? Mm. And, and I do that through books. I do it through the conversations we have. Yeah. I do it through uh, speaking and writing and broadcasting and coaching. And I, uh, so I see myself as a, as a vehicle for thought leadership and will use, mm. you know, within reason, any platform to get those messages out there. Because I just mm. think, as you say, people are so hungry for inspiration and hope and, um, mm. you know, new ways of doing stuff. What is your key message, your key thought that you would love to share with my audience today? Uh, you're not your ego. You're mm. this incredible, resourceful being. Um, if you want to think of yourself as a spiritual being, that's great. It doesn't matter if you don't. But you're so much more than you realize. You're so much more powerful and have so much more impact. Um, and on that level, there's nothing you really need but there's everything you want to give and share. Because um, I think our ego is all about kind of needing stuff, whereas our, our spirit is all about sharing stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, I love that. And, and there is something you were born to do, and life does have meaning. Yeah. What does the phrase, always better than yesterday, inspire in you? 
I love the idea of always being better than yesterday. I, I, I would just have one little caveat. You know, I've been on a kind of growth journey for, for 30 years of now. And I would, I would um, characterize the first 10 years by being on what I would call a self-improvement journey. And what I mean by that is, you know, my inner critic was pretty harsh. It's still harsh at times, but, but it was basically coming from a place of like, well, I'm not good enough. I need to improve myself. So that's the only thing I, I would say is for people not to think they're not good enough, which is why they need mm. to be better. Mm. And today, or for the last 20 odd years, my path has much been more about there is this pre-existing amazing self already in you. How can you let more of that out? How can you make more conscious contact with it and let it out more? So it's not about self-improvement, it's about self-love. So the always better than yesterday would be about have I let more of my gifts out? Have I let more of my love out? Have I, have I been more courageous? Have I been more kind? Have I been more compassionate than I was yesterday? Have I let go of some fear or some wound that's been running me and that doesn't have its hands on the steering wheel of my life anymore? Fantastic caveat. I really appreciate that. Thank you. How can our watchers and our listeners connect with you, find out more about your work? Um, well, I always love to have conversations. So if anything has resonated with you, by all means, drop me a line. My email address is nick at iamnickwilliams.com. Nick at iamnickwilliams.com. Uh, my website is iamnickwilliams.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, been quiet for a while, um, but I'm just getting back into it because I've had a bereavement and uh, just kind of coming out of uh, hi- not hibernation, renewal. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to hear from you. So please, uh, you know, either visit my website or drop me a line. Amazing. And I am very, very grateful for your time and your energy today. Thank you for, for taking the time to spend it with, with us and our community. And I'd be honored if you could leave us with a final thought from your good self. Um, ooh. The thought that comes to me is you're, you are love. Yeah. Let's leave it on that. Thank you so much. (laughs) Have a great rest of your day. And you, thanks for having me on and thanks for what you're doing. God bless. Yo, and there we go. Episode 89 with Nick Williams. What a fantastic conversation. Really love the perspective that Nick brings to, to the workplace. Really imagine a world where more of us did what we loved that more leaders encouraged us to be our best versions of ourselves, not for the benefit of just us, but because when we do what we love, we make everything and everyone around us that little bit better. I really loved this phrase that your work is your love made visible. Really interesting concept. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Thank you for supporting the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I hope that it continues to serve you well. If this is the first time you've ever listened and you've made it all the way to the end of the podcast, let me just give a big heartfelt thank you. Thank you for spending your time with me, with us, the We Are Always Better Than Yesterday community. Please come back again. Uh, I will be releasing daily podcasts throughout the week, just short snippets of inspiration to help you in your heart and your mind that day. And then every Wednesday, I release another interview session. Hope that you come back, spend time with us again soon. Please do share this with the one person 
in your network in your close circle that you feel would really benefit from hearing what nick has had to say or what the podcast offers in general a sense of hope and a future and some positivity some optimism and some real practical things that you can hopefully take away and implement in your own life that will lead you to be slightly better than you were yesterday appreciate you look after yourselves and we'll speak again soon much love